RDI Insights. Mike Dempsey in conversation with Royal Designers. Hello and welcome to the RDI Insights podcast series, where I will be interviewing major figures in the design industry who have been made RSA Royal Designers for Industry, the highest accolade for a designer in the UK. The award was introduced in 1936 to highlight and honour the work of industrial designers for their sustained creative excellence and benefit to society. My guest today is the graphic designer Fernando Guterres. He was born in London in 1963 to Spanish parents. And as you will discover, he was destined for a creative path from an early age, ultimately leading him to a BA course at the London College of Printing. His first half dozen years were with the design consultancy CDT, before the urge to discover his Spanish side took him to work in Barcelona during a blossoming of creative energy in that country. He returned to the UK to join Pentagram as a partner, where he stayed for six years before forming Studio Fernando Guterres. He is a genuinely European designer who works as much in Spain, France, Italy, Germany as in the UK. For him, the client is just as important as the projects he takes on. Many clients become good friends and Fernando modestly states that his job is simply to help them realise what they have in their heads but cannot express it. But looking at Fernando's body of work, it becomes clear that he does a lot more than that. For him, projects must have meaning. He can't see the point if he's not learning something from the work he takes on. This conversation was recorded remotely, with me in Dorset and Fernando in Madrid. We kicked off with his three-year collaboration with the architect Norman Foster. Let's start with something very recent, and that's the pair of books on Norman Foster's life's work. Uh, You collaborated with him over, I think, three years, and uh, the results were published just a month or so ago. I'd be very interested to know how that project came about and, and the process of working with Norman Foster. That came about because I've worked previously in, in, in the past with, with Norman Foster. They were looking for a, a designer to work on a book on pretty much a monograph, really, of all his work, his important projects and selected works. And then it, and it developed into something of an overview of all of his work. And also, not just there's a separate book that goes with it that's about, you know, all his thinking, his main topics that, that inspire him and how in, in his work work. Uh, that's a collector's edition that comes with a print of um, of a drawing by Norman. What was the process like working with him? I mean, it wasn't like just being given a manuscript. It was far more more complicated than that, yes? Yeah, it was far more involved with that. And I think, I think what was important is that he worked with someone that got him because it was so long drawn. There were, there were many factors involved in all this. There was a nice coincidence. He didn't know, but I just uh, worked an exhibition in Bilbao. I did the catalogue for it that was all about the Bilbao Metro and the designer Otto Leica, the German designer. He was a very good friend of Norman. So when I showed him that, you know, that made him more confident that we could do something together, you know, that I could help him put the book together. Because that book on Otto Leica explained Otto Leica's work from the Ulm School in Germany and, you know, 
how he set up his design studio and the projects that he did in them, you know, Lufthansa, Budhaup, the uh, Munich Olympics. And being Bilbao, the reason it was put on in Bilbao, because they were highlighting the anniversary of the Bilbao Metro that was designed by Norman Forster. And Bottle did the graphics for it. So the map, you know, the whole signage system, the whole identity, he worked very closely with Norman. And that is a very special book too. So I worked on that quite intensively. That's how that connection came. So not only a, a connection with Norman, but, but Otto. That's a nice touch with a graphic hero. It was a nice link. And I guess because Norman Foster is so close to his work, it must have been really an interesting experience working alongside him. The archive, he knows it inside out and what image to go with, what, what sketch, what, you know, his memory on every single project was amazing. So I set up a simple, it's a simple enough grid, but actually because of the diversity of work, you couldn't be absolutely on a grid, but it's quite a flexible grid. So it works vertically, the grid, but horizontally it varies, but it all is very calm and, and the narrative flows through very well. And it allowed Norman to go in and be able to sketch out where images could fall. But at the same time, all that had to fit in beautifully. So it was a lot of handling, a lot of imagery, all types of photography, types of drawings, types of elevations, and just making it look good on every page. Every page is different, every single one. It's in two volumes in its own slipcase, and it even has its own book stand. Yeah, that is a product design in its own right. It's how the case functions. And that was designed by Norman and his, and his team. So it's essentially, it's, it's a book binding development, but I think only a product designer would be able to do that. It's quite special because it's, just, it's essentially a case. It's a, it's a cloth bound case, but it folds into a stand. They dedicated a lot of time to make that work. For me, I mean, this whole project was really to help guide it because his sense of design how things fall onto a pe- He had that. It was just a question of helping him run through it and help organize it and help, help things fall into place. Then even the cover, he's, he, he was keen on it just being typographic, but I thought, I thought that was very brave because normally you get an image on that. All architects use an image on their, their book covers. He was very clear on that. But another thing is for me, the beginning was all about because Otto had a, a great relationship with Norman that they were, you know, graphically, uh, Ottrell developed his first books and typeface, but Ottrell had a beautiful way of working a grid. And for me, it was also bringing, you know, the essence of Ottrell into the, the design, the typography is, is Rotis, that I thought was a very nice link. And Norman was clear on the idea of Rotis. It's a definitive work, and I, I, I can't think that there'll be another one. Yeah. Well, that's very much in the present. So, so let's return to the beginning. You were born in West London in 1963 to Spanish parents. What are your earliest memories of, of that time? Earliest memories would be going to nursery uh, with Auntie Phyllis, she was called. And she had all these children in um, Little Venice in a house, um, Victorian terraced house. And she would look after us. And I remember arriving first day and I couldn't speak with the children because I was used to speaking Spanish at home. I didn't, we didn't speak English. So there's a weird, a, a weird communication thing where you can't really, you don't understand and you have, but you know, you quickly adapt and 
That that stayed with me, that memory. And um, When did your parents leave Spain for London? My parents left in the 50s. My mother left in the early 60s, and my father left in the 50s to come to London. They didn't know each other. They met in London. I thought you might like to know some of the things that happened in your year of birth, 1963. So, so here's what happened. John F. Kennedy was assassinated. The Beatles released their first album, Please Please Me. Uh, Thomas Beeching who was responsible for closing 25% of British Rail. It was the year of the great train robbery. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech. And there was a big freeze of 1963 when temperatures dropped to 3 degrees Fahrenheit. So few houses had central heating back then. Well, I mean, the, the heating situation, that must have been very hard on people because London, remember, we lived in a Victorian terrace building in in near little venice pennington green little venice and um we had a room my father had two rooms here and uh yeah that had very little heating yes i remember we had a very hazardous paraffin heater when did you start to feel that there might be a, a sort of creative path for you would, would that be junior school or is that that too early junior school definitely but I did like always drawing from very young. It was a way of me pass the time. And I would just draw all the time on the walls. We had the house we lived in in Little Venice slowly became over time. People moved out and people didn't move in. It was quite an old building. And uh, so eventually we had the whole house. And in the basement, I would go there to draw on the walls. It was more like a scenography. You know, you, every, you just tell a story. It was like a big... Uh, big comic book or be and that that was my first memory and then at school i liked painting and uh, i remember we we went to the library there were two things it's with that book um where the wild things are oh morris sendai that was a story that captured my imagination and at the same time i was looking at that book really inspired and in all we were shown these animals this this uh, guy from the zoo from london zoo came along with all these different animals. And then we went away to draw what we've seen. So I had this image of where the wild things are, plus all these animals that we'd saw that we could touch and get close to. Because I'd never seen anything like that. That set me off. So that's where I was so inspired by everything, textures, colors, shapes. And I remember loving that day. Still sticks with me. I remember the, 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 I drew all these animals and then I got carried away with the painting. I started using the paint, mixing everything. And I got really told off because you're not, we weren't, we were told not to mix paint, but I still did it. And the next day, the teacher, I remember she came to me and she apologized. She said, I'm really sorry, but I really like what you did. Yes, it's so nice when a teacher does that. It shows that they, they really are thinking more deeply about children. Yeah, yeah, really nice. And that, you see that, I don't know, that was another one where, yeah. Yes, they meant a lot. They mean a lot, yeah, they really do. And they just give you that. So I thought, I like this idea of drawing and painting. And Was any of your family creative? No, 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 no creativity. My father, he was just a very practical man. He came to England. He's a young man, lived uh, around... Um, Notting Hill and um, that's where he started living and um, he bought himself a motorbike he was a young man he's 26 and because he had a motorbike he couldn't speak English 
but he fell in with a group of, of men who would go around on motorbike and, um, and just travel the country and enjoyed themselves they they um and he made good friends with and they all they taught him to speak english and so they would get any jobs to survive they would look out for each other get each other jobs but at the same time they were having good time so for my dad that was total freedom i mean he would go he did he went a lot to the west country new key all that cornwall they would stay on that side and then come to london and then they started settling in london yeah he's got he had really good memories of that time. Um, it was amazing how they uh, accepted him. I remember my father at home, as I got older, he would then start speaking to me in English, not Spanish. So we, between us, we would speak English. With my mother, we'd, we'd speak Spanish. And your mother, did she take care of the home and family or was she doing anything else? They had to make, try and make what they could money wise. And, um, she, she worked as a cleaner and as a housemaid and, um, she was a good cook. So she survived doing those sort of things locally. I remember you telling me your mother had a connection with, um, Orson Wells. Tell us about that. Um, Orson Wells had, uh, one of his, um, main PAs and Rogers used to live in very near us. And, um, Orson would, when he was in London, he would always stay with Anne Rogers. Uh, so that was his PA. So it was his center of operation, um, in Little Venice. And, um, yeah, my mother worked with Anne and, and, uh, Orson would, you know, he'd be around. He, he would, because he was into, this is, I think it's just coincidence, but he was really into Spain. And, uh, yeah, so he liked the idea of someone Spanish being around. <laughs> very, very nice man. And, and so much so that his, his partner, Odja, she would come and visit my mum when he, when Orson passed away. Odja's still alive. And, uh, yeah, he, she would come and visit to say hello. But it's, yeah, yeah, good, good memories. It was a nice area to grow up in. But people don't know that, that there was a lot of bomb sites around, around Little Venice because it's close to Paddington. So. Yes, it's amazing how long those bomb sites stayed around for. Okay, let's let's move on now to secondary school. How was that for you? The secondary school it was a state secondary. There was a time when you're asked. It was quite interesting because really, for me, my haven was the art department. I loved going there, and I got on very. I had great teachers. I loved being there. I felt very. Um, it made me feel good just going there, being there, and work. You know, working on whatever project we, we were set. And alongside that, the school I went to had a very good engineering department, an excellent engineering department, and it had um, a very, very good wood woodwork department. I think because our school, the boys were expected to go into trades, not even go in, no way go into university. That wasn't, but it was to go into trades. And so our school was geared in that way. So when they asked me what I wanted to do, they, they were they were lining me up for the London Electricity Board because they knew I could draw and they thought oh, you'll you'll make a great draftsman. Um, so they rigged me up. I mean that's quite amazing. I said, oh, well, I'd like to draw. I'd like a job a job drawing. They said you can't draw. I mean there's no job drawing. You can't. <laughs> so they linked me up as a draftsman, and I went to my art teacher to tell her. I said I'm I'm going to possible. So I think it was all trainees then. It was to go into the London Electricity Board. And she said, there's no way you can do that. That's what my father did. You need to go to art school. I said, what's that? And she said, well, I'll, I'll show you. And they did. Um, 
But it was really nice because woodwork I loved and engineering, they were great both. But really, my heart was much more on the art side with the art department. So when it came to A-levels, they guided me. They said, you should go to the London College of Printing, do a summer course on printmaking. I did know a little bit about screen printing from school, but little much else. And then at the LCP, the summer course, they sent me on two summer courses at school. One was to Brunel University to do a course, which I thought was great because when you're at that age, you're just starting your A-levels. You do think, what can I do? But they did fix me up in a very, you know, pointed me in a direction. One is to Brunel University. The other one was to the College of Printing. So when I look back now, they were really, in the end, they were trying to help me find my way. Brunel I found very interesting because we they gave us, they just showed it. They gave us an insight into how things are there in the course, the courses. And I found them super interesting uh, much more academic and but the atmosphere was great the campus was beautiful mm. so calm and so that did interest me and then they took us to see concord that we went into to ba and saw the plane inside that i was in awe because i remember i could i remember seeing it flying it overhead and that was like whoa but actually to get up close to it and go inside was amazing. So all that really captured my imagination. But at the LCP, I loved discovering printmaking and drawing and reproduction of image on paper and that whole thing. And so after the summer course, I decided to do an A-level in um, history of art and printmaking at the LCP. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved that course because I learned about printmaking and in and through printmaking you quickly learn about graphic design as part of all that and amongst that I saw the degree show at the LCP and I loved it seeing that degree show I found that and I thought this is exactly what I want to do at foundation that's where I discovered photography and filmmaking that I was very interested in and then typography being LCP typography was so I had all these things filmmaking it was a little bit beyond me in photography because it cost money, it was too expensive for me. I couldn't really get to that level. But um, but graphics, I just thought that's the one for what I for where <laughs> where I was, and I and I followed that, and then I stayed on and did the BA. There were a lot of good tutors at the LCP. I mean, Tom Eckersley, he had just left, but he he left a whole legacy of. I mean, he really left behind a way of doing graphics. Yep, Tom Eckersley was brilliant. And for listeners, you should check out his wonderful work online. He was also a royal designer for industry. And you also had Keith Cunningham teaching, another great graphic designer. Oh, yes. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was very calm, very nice man, very gentle. And he would set us in very interesting projects, critiqued really well. But there, there were a whole load of other ones. Um, Harold Bartram, who's a really interesting typographer um, of classic English print. And Fred Lambert at the time. I mean, these people were there and it, it was amazing. And in, there was another course called Media Design and Production. I think I still think that, that was a great course. I wasn't involved in it, but I had friends that were on that course. And that was more very focused on the process of graphic design for print and the rules of graphics whereas graphic design the ba was much looser in it in what you know more you could go between the lines on that um, and there was brian grimley he, he was of the frostard type 
character, you know. So there was very, very, very good, real, uh, real characters as well, really. And Fred Lambert, who was doing the college magazine called Typos, I still think it's a great magazine even today. And that was a college magazine. You were given uh, on your course on graphics, you were given the London College of Printing type book. And that gave you the examples of maybe twin, 23 typefaces max. No, I don't even think it went to 23. And in that, you had the typeface and the size and what it looked like in text font and different sizes of font of text font. So you knew it all by memory because you were, you were given instruction to, for, uh, to typesetters. You needed to know, know what things look like by memory, not when you were laying out. It was almost automatic. And of course, with typesetting, you had to know all of the typographic symbols mm. when preparing or correcting the text for the compositor. Yeah. Um, but all those compositors now are long gone. Um, and, and those symbols are a mystery to most people. Yeah. It's not, yeah, different work. Who else was in your student group at LCP? There was one on foundation that I loved what he did. He did crazy sculptures that were interactive, a bit like Fishley and Weiss, um, the artist. And I loved what he did. And then I knew that he went to do, he went on to do sculpture somewhat. I can't remember where in North England, I think Leeds, something like that. I can't remember exactly. And I really liked him as a person, a good colleague, um, but completely different to what I was doing. Uh, he, he's called, his name was Peter Cataneo and he became film director. He did the film Full Monty. I think that's really interesting that on a foundation, that's what it's about. It's meeting people, people developing, changing what they're doing if they're not, you know, finding their way. And uh, foundation just gives you, opens doors for you. I, I really had a good time. But yeah, on the graphics course, not not in my year, but uh, Angus Highland was in, the. he was doing MPD. That was a course parallel to the graphics course. Can't remember anyone else. John Hegarty, Neville Brody, a pupil there. Yeah, and then there's the photographers, journalists, filmmakers. There's a whole reel of people. I mean, there's a lot of I mean, in my year, there was Russell Warren Fisher, and there weren't so many. I think there were max 30 people in the class in, in our year. So as as time went on, I mean, already at college, big influence on me were magazines. Um, so there was another magazine that came out while I was at college that totally inspired me was um, Octavo. Oh, yes, that was uh, Hamish Muir. Yeah, and that was a beautiful jewel to to see it was all about typography and issues around type it was a beautiful beautiful magazine they published eight and that was it that was their aim because you can only fold a sheet eight times and so you know page count is based on eight so it's um it was a great name what they did and it was all really looking towards the european utilitarian helvetica style think way of thinking very you know swiss it was a very influential and, and really experimental and very much aimed at designers really yeah it was they were also showing you what you can do with print so it was showing you scale uh ink what you can do on paper so they, they use beautiful paper ink when they print how they print it type size in some cases it would it wouldn't be absolutely but even so you'd forgive it because they were showing you something else be difficult but it was a source of inspiration definitely i'd, I'd put that down and uh and so they did eight. And now the eighth one came out. So they wouldn't come out even once a year. I think they came out when they were ready. There was no hurry. It must have been 
a very personal project of theirs. So it's a pure labour of love. And um, the eighth issue was a CD-ROM because it must have come out around 1990 or 89. Um, and that's when that was, everything was transitioning into digital. That was the beginning. It was really early days. And they came out, their last magazine, Octavo 8, is a CD. Uh, really, really interesting. I, I think still it's still a very beautiful exercise. Yeah, as you say, it was a digital project at the time. And listeners should understand that the introduction of digital not only meant uh, the end of the analog way of working, but it left a plethora of parallel motion desks and that all had to be dispensed with uh, virtually overnight. And that also saw the demise of so many independent typesetting companies that served all of the design and advertising and publishing industries. All of those brilliant compositors lost their jobs. And suddenly, all the designers had to become typesetters. And and it made them aware of just how good those analog typesetters were, um, because the results of this transition spawned a massive, terrible typography. Sorry, that that was a bit long-winded. Anyway, what what was inspiring you back then? Well, uh, alongside my degree, I'll tell you things that were inspiring me. Um, Definitely the Face magazine had just come out. And that was a big cultural thing for the for the youth, really, for the first time. You know, we had a, a magazine that talked about young creatives, all sorts, from, you know, not just fashion. It talked about, you know, in the arts and culture, and all sorts. And also that was written by young people. So, and then it, it just felt very dynamic and very fresh. I always found that inspiring for that moment in time there was nothing like it so there was that going on and then there was Gert Gert Dunbar was starting to do interesting things as well you know there was total design in in Holland uh, who I was interested in I I was already starting to see liking what Pentagram were doing where they what they were about and then the, the design scene generally in London I could see that I could there were things there that I was that I, I was liking in graphics and that I could participate, you know, in some way be part of. But also at the LCP, the, the other great thing was parallel to my study, you had to do a thesis. And my one was on Spanish design. And at the time, I remember people asking me, but there's no, I mean, there's nothing on Spanish design doesn't exist. But a lot of people, why are you doing something on Spanish design? I mean, it was really strange because Spain wasn't even part of the EU then. It was really an outside. And it was really just seen as a place where you go on holiday. And so for my degree, I I went to Spain. I knew very little about Spain. But coming back to my early childhood, when I was at secondary school, my mother insisted that I go to Spanish school after English school. So I would do a course on, so it was, you know, Spanish history, Spanish geography, Spanish literature. It was all. <laughs> so I was having this kind of double dose of, of school. But what I liked about being in the Spanish school, it was set up by a very interesting man in the 70s. Um, he was an exile, a Republican exile, a philanthropist as well, because he'd made a lot of money importing oranges from Spain into England and no doubt distributing to other, other places. He was like a very, he'd made a, a very good business out of, um, you know, Citrix. And he, could see there were a lot of Spanish people from the 50s, 60s, 70s that had come to England. And he thought it would be it would be good to give the immigrants, Spanish immigrants, uh, the children, a school to learn Spanish. 
I was part of that. Well, I would go as a part-time thing after the English school. And what was nice about that was in the English, in the Spanish school, we'd all arrive from different London schools and we'd arrive in our uniforms. So in class, we were, it was like a real tutti fruity of everyone with their different color blazers. And we were, it was a uh, male and female. It was an amazing thing where everyone had their identity, but what unified everyone is that they had Spanish connection and they were all from different parts of Spain as well. So you had people from, you know, Galicia, Asturias, you had people from Andalusia, all over, people from Madrid, um, from Valladolid or Burgos. You had people from all sorts. And uh, it was really interesting because there's a real overview of Spain in that class. So I was always curious about and I kind of enjoyed it. It helped me actually because I did learn Spanish. So it's good that my mother insisted because it did give me confidence with Spanish. And so this was one thing was to do my thesis on Spanish design. That's where I got a little bit of confidence from. But before that, because I had a Spanish, I had an English and Spanish passport that at that time, when you turned 17, if you were Spanish, you had to do national service. So I was called up at 17 to go to Spain and do my national service in San Sebastian. So they just did it as a rule. But it turns out if you don't do your national service, you can't live in Spain for 10 years, which was okay because I mean, my home was London. It wasn't, I could get around. And also I was studying. So, um, but they said to me, you can't live in Spain until you're 27. You can visit Spain six weeks a year, something or two months a year max. So when I turned 27, that stayed with me. I could go back to Spain, but it was a place I'd never lived in in my life. But the thesis that I did, I met um, really interesting Spanish graphic designers and the graphic designers introduced me to the world of design. So they weren't they didn't just show me graphic design. They showed me product design. They showed me architecture. You know, they showed me all the, and I could see country was, there was um, a dynamic of change. I could see through what they were showing me. There was a, there was a, there was an incredible talent. And the thesis that stuck with me with what I was showing. So that made me one day think I should to discover Spain. Now, when I was in, in London and before I turned 27, Spain, suddenly there were movements for Spain to join the EU to become more democratic. Spain were given the Olympics, Barcelona Olympics, and then Seville, the World Expo. It's suddenly it's like people were discovering Spain in a in a cultural sense, not as a not just a holiday destination. And then it was a, the reconstruction of Spain, really. But coming back, so I'm, I'm maybe a bit jumping sort of. But you asked me a question: What happened after the LCP? So the Spanish thing was important. That stuck with me. But graphically, I couldn't really find my my way in a sense of who could. I I work with what sort of so initially I started off with branding I got a job with Landor the big American corporate company it wasn't that wasn't exactly my cup of tea and I revised my whole portfolio I redid it all I thought that's I'm just going to write to people that I really really like and admire it's not just to get a job I want to work with people I I like I mean that was a pipe dream because you can't I don't think you can really do that but I was really set on doing it that way and so I wrote letters to the people I most admired and that's how I got my start in graphic design in the proper graphic design so I wrote a company called I think they were called Carol Dempsey and Thurkle (laughs) yeah I know them (laughs) there are a few others but one was Carol Dempsey and Thurkle and what I liked about them was that I read that they had done they had done um an independent newspaper or they were working on it and the independent had just just come out and i was really interested in 
in that project. And then I saw that Cal Dempsey and Thurkle were also, they've been working in publishing and they're doing really beautiful things in publishing. I thought, yeah, I could, that, that's really interesting. So I wrote to them and that's how I got a reply, a nice reply to come in and, and meet them. I had been to Pentagram as well, but that didn't really develop any further. I went to see, I think, the partners. But anyway, Carol Dempsey and Thurkle had a nice meeting. And what blew me away was that they just moved into this beautiful muse. It was designed by David Chipperfield, an architect that I had, I didn't know about, but I just thought this is beautiful. And I love it because it was all about, there was typography everywhere. David's space, just everything was just, um, for me, like paradise. <laughs> and I thought I'd love, I'd love to, I'd work here for free. And I don't need to be paid. I just come in and, and just come in and enjoy this. I can, I'll be very happy. <laughs> for the listeners, I should say that Dempsey in question is me. Uh, I interviewed you I think first met you ascending the stairs at uh, our Brownlow Muse studios. And you, I noted you were wearing Basswegian penny loafers, a fly front uh, raincoat with a Peter Pan collar and um, a white Oxford button down shirt. So I liked you immediately. And uh, even before I'd, I'd set eyes on your work. Oh, that's nice. It's good memories because I was really into jazz and had this kind of beatnik. I was really into that look, modern jazz. But it was very nice. That staircase was amazing that David did because you all, you could fit, I don't know, six people on the first on the first step. And as you were going up, because it's curving and getting narrower, you literally had enough space for one person. So you had to make a decision who would go in front as you going up the staircase. So you spent four years at CDT initially, and it, it, I have to say it was great fun having you there and working together on a lot of great projects back then. But you'd, you'd always had this nagging desire to go to Spain, and I guess really to complete the real Spanish side of you in some way. You joined the consultancy SUMA in Barcelona, where, ironically, they didn't speak Spanish but Catalan. Tell us about that move. I thought it would be interesting to discover Spain, although as much as it, I was happy in London, but Spain, I thought it would be nice just to understand a little bit my Spanish uh, roots. Um, and so I chose Barcelona, coming from London, Barcelona, port city, Mediterranean, just completely different to what London, how London worked. It was a very nice experience to be there. Uh, just completely, just really all the way of, living and, and working so different and I enjoyed it very much and the work um, also I joined the Sumo this company it was there it was the beginning really so when you start off in these early projects everyone's trying finding their feet it's really exciting because you're doing all the everyone everything's new and we had a great time and we did really really interesting projects so I stayed there for a year but I mean life was at a hundred miles an hour it was really it was very fast we were going too fast and, um, you know, it just took over. And I thought I'd need to get back to London. I need to get back to some sanity and recompose what I, what I want to do. Because in Barcelona, suddenly we were also doing projects in Madrid. It was very, you know, I started off working on a magazine in that studio that was very interesting, aimed at young, aimed at young people. It was about entertainment. And that was a great fun. And it became, it was a good, for Spain, editorial, I think anywhere, it was quite different. We made it work. It was a government by the government aimed at young people. 
Because, I mean, at that time, there were very few magazines for young people in Spain. Um, there were fanzines and whatnot, you know, comics. But, you know, this was a, a magazine that had interviews uh, with uh, people working in the arts. And well, that whetted your appetite for Spain. But you came back to London and rejoined CDT. But not long after, the pull of Spain took you back. And you teamed up there with another talented graphic designer, Pablo Martin, and you co-founded Studio Grafica with him. And your work quickly gained notice. And So tell us about the transition of running your own consultancy, which is obviously quite different. Well, for, for both. I mean, it was uh, a good meeting of minds because um, he, he we had similar interests in, in design and references and also the type of work clients we'd like to work for. Very similar. So there are a lot of things in common and I really liked his library he had a lot of books that I liked and respected and so I thought he's he's got to be a good designer because he's got all this he's got the rep he's got the things around him that I like and I liked him I still do he's a very good designer and we did you know we did very good work essentially we love we love graphic design so whenever we worked on anything there was a different way of I think people saw it it just felt different what projects in particular? Um, there, there was a sports newspaper that was handled by it. Because what we'd do, we'd have, there'd always be one that would lead more than the other. But there was a sports newspaper. It was a big seller, the whole Catalan area. That was an interesting project. There's nothing like that in the UK. But there's that. There was a television station, Andalusia t Television, the national, sort of the area of Andalusia. They have their own TV station. I don't know, it would be like Yorkshire TV or something, you know? So we did the identity for that. There was the... I think one of the great projects you designed then was the weekly colour supplement Tentaniones for the major Spanish newspaper El País. El País, yeah. It was a really fantastic... It, what, what was interesting about it was that El País was the... The newspaper that was connected to the socialists, the whole, the socialist government, it was, um, you know, so it was a liberal newspaper, it had a good, very good reputation, very connected to the socialists, very straightforward newspaper designed by a German called Reinhard Gade. His layout was pure. It was times, pure grid, black and white photography. And at that time, they, they had, and they had the possibility to start printing color, but they didn't want to start taking it into the newspaper. They wanted to test it also for advertisers, how advertisers would respond. And also to get good, get the best quality onto newsprint. So he needed something to test and they thought it'd be a good idea to do like a, a city guide, put it onto newsprint and put it within the paper. And that city guide would carry reviews of music and uh, theatre and, and film and whatever's going on in city. But it was all about entertainment. It was like, but not visually, a bit like Time Out, but larger and more striking. It was that idea. So Time Out, we resolved. We did do a, a link up with Time Out. We'd have a double spread in the middle that was Time Out. It was a link up. So we'd, but that was a special edition. So every city in Spain, so you'd receive it, but in the middle, they, because they had different print plants around Spain, they would insert the, the center spread would be inserted. The re, so that would relate to the city, the local city. So Seville would have their own version. Bilbao would have their own version. Barcelona would have their own version. All the Spanish, the main Spanish cities, the link up with Time Out, that was all. So that, that worked really well for the newspaper and put them on a, on another standing because suddenly they had color. 
They had fun. You know, they just looked. And of course, with that, they were bringing in younger readers to the paper. So it would add on on a Friday. It would add on, say, 80,000, 90,000 readers on a Friday. Extra would come. So it was a big success. And, and so for that magazine, what was really beautiful as well was that, again, that brought through a whole new group of people, of journalists, photographers, designers, illustrators, came through that together that was a nice thing because now they've all done well bigger and better things but it was a great you know starting point for a lot of people being there you you met many people and teamed up with uh el Pais's deputy editor uh, alberto anolt who who wanted to create a spanish cultural arts magazine and he wanted you to design it tell us how, how it worked with alberto yeah so when, when we started off the the magazine first of all uh he he was he liked uh, what I, what had happened with Tentaciones, uh, so he decided to leave the newspaper. He said that he would like to do a magazine where you know you had time to to really review properly the articles and get good quality content and not be rushed. So it's the opposite of what you know the day to day running of a newspaper or a weekly. And so we we started thinking about. What could it be? You know, what format? Decided this idea of doing things with time, but doing it with good quality paper, good quality print, good quality repro, and really lead by example editorially, you know, create something very unique and collectible. So rather than going from just calling it, you know, one, two, three, we thought it'd be nice to have a length of time. So you start off on A and you end with Z. And we go through the Spanish alphabet. So we worked out it's 29 letters and so that that's so they would be monographic ideas every issue but we brought in great photography you went on to other projects with alberto um to not only design but um importantly you unearthed uh, some 20th century spanish photographers work and that became the pocketbook series photo posilo i think it's called and you became one of the founders of Photo España, which is now an, an annual two-month photographic festival in Madrid. Yeah, yeah, because because it became the, the the magazine really became a key into all these areas. I mean, the the obsession was to recognise the history of Spanish photography creatively on a, on an international level, but also alongside that we would bring references of photography that could you know where we could contrast photography you know recognized photography french or american or german we 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 would bring them into the magazine too so it then became this richer you could see things in context alongside each other but it essentially it was to for me helping create this vehicle to recognize the art of photography and and it was it was just not to me for me it was the vehicle for the passion really of looking that that did come from this editor it was his passion all i did was help him get there with what i knew about making a what was a photography magazine for, for me is how should it look how should it feel i would just help him with what i know is help him look good well let's let's move on now in 2000 you get an invitation to join pentagram how does that come about the connection really was made when i was around 14 13 when i was going to the spanish school and come yeah coming back on the train yeah i'd, I'd come on the train i'd get on at labrook grove because the school was in portobello and from labrook grove i'd get the train to paddington 
on the Metropolitan, it was called the Metropolitan Line. Now it's called the Hammersmith. But, and I'd get off at Paddington and <laughs> I, to get to Paddington Green, I, I knew this shortcut. So I'd go through where the mail, they had a special bridge. It was really only for the postman, but I would use it because it was a good shortcut to get back to Paddington Green. But that bridge went past this beautiful, I, I would look in because it was all glass and you could look in. And this beautiful office of people working at their desk, beautifully lit. And there were all these Afri African masks on the wall. That's the old pentagram location, isn't it? By the canal in Paddington. And that was the old pentagram. But I had no idea. I just liked the, the feeling of it. I liked the feeling of it. And as time has gone on, I realized that it, yeah, that was, so that was my first encounter. But how did it come about was that I had joined AGI. And so through AGI, I'd come to their attention. I should explain for listeners who don't know what AGI stands for. Uh, it's Alliance Graphic International, and it's a prestigious body based in Switzerland that selects graphic designers from around the world to become members. And it was formed in uh, 1951. Uh, that, and through that, uh, I met a few of the partners and i also i knew alan fletcher who i found i love I, lo I, I really admired him and um and then my friend angus highland joined pentagram and so there were a, there were a lot of connections eventually they just came up if i would like to join and i thought yeah i kind of like the idea of returning back to london i'd done pretty much 10 years overall in spain and I thought, but having said that, my connections were really professionally were in Spain. You know, I was, there was all Spanish. So the nice thing about joining with Pentagram is you can continue working with the clients you've got and is to build on that to go further. But of course, that my clients were mainly in the world of art and culture, you know, cultural. They were all quite cultural, editorial. And I continued working with them because for me, through design, you're able to work with people you like. And that's how I've always liked to work. It's really to help solve a problem, make things using my, what I know is to make, it's about print. It's for me, or even digital. It's just to make, and it's, it's about reading something. And it's not just reading type, it's reading an image and type an image or just image, color. How does that look on a format? How do you get, how do you get that rhythm? How do things link? What do you put? What sort of image comes before, after, in the middle? How do you contrast? All these things. And, and I love being close to that. So a lot of my clients do become my friends and I stay very close to them. So uh, the Spanish group that I had were like that. And as I joined Pentagram, this possibility to work on the identity of the Prado Museum arrived because they had a new director and he was looking to just revamp the whole museum. There was an, a new extension happening and he just went to organize the museum. And fruit design is a good, it's a good way of doing it, you know, with the identity and how you communicate. And that was, that was very nice. So that was all the time with me. And so was Matador, the magazine that was with me at Pentagram. So I had this big link with Spain, really. I remember you describing yourself as a European designer working as much in the UK as Spain, France and Germany. And you also said that um, this, your studio was wherever you happened to be, be that a train, airport, plane, boat or beach. <laughs> the beach is a tricky one. But yeah, I meant, I meant by that by being a phone call, if you get a phone call at that time. Now those people don't call you anymore. It's all email. And from Spain, say, I started working in Italy with colours, with Benetton. That came off my relationship with Spain. So then, 
And then I started working in France with Hermès and there, were, there was a big, strong European connection. We should wind back there because I'd like you to talk about Colours magazine. And it was an outstanding project you worked on as art director. Um, you took over from the very well-known Tibor Kalman, who had created the campaigning publication on important sort of global projects of concern. And he did it with big, bold graphics, photography and colour, very much reflecting his personality. You turn that on its head with a, a calm, minimalist approach, pushing the graphics back and making the journalism and photography the heroes. Tibor, there was no, he was a master of wit and image, and he was just a master of that. He was just so funny with what he did, and he was able to do it, with, but at the same time, very serious. I mean, Colours was about reaching out to young people with serious issues, so it could be about ecology, and at that time, ecology wasn't a big, it wasn't like in the news as it is today. And Tibor had that in there, or racism, those were all things that Tibor was bringing forward. I remember, and at the time, uh, HIV, that was a massive deal. Tibor did a, an, a very simple magazine explaining what HIV was about. It hadn't, no newspaper had done that, not like Tibor had done it. So he used very serious themes, but then at the same time, you look at always at, try and look at a humoristic side. He was a master of that. I learned a lot of Tibor and I loved working with him. But then there was also Toscani, who was also very important visually. The photographer. Yeah. So I did work with Tibor on his last issue, issue 13, that was a magazine about no words. But when I was asked to come back, I was at Pentagram and Toscani had been taken, he'd been dealing with the evolution of where they'd come from. Magazines tend to have a lifespan of seven years, I reckon, 10, because it's generational. Yeah, I got involved and I just wanted to do a very simple take on what life is like on this planet. The contrast the diversity so they were still about they were monographic but they would be about ideas it could be about you know a mental home no very they were still very serious social issues uh living in in uh, slums about refugee camps it was giving people our insights about things that ge not generally you hear about them in the press this was going in more insight the other thing was that the journalists photographers they were all, you know, pretty much starting up. They were all out of straight out of university, but all committed to the cause, committed to the cause of creating a magazine aimed at young people and talking about things that the newspapers are not going in depth into. That was the, the thing. And so the graphics, I wanted to be raw, you know, just go to the essence and let the picture speak and the text, because the text was always bilingual. You always had English and French, English and Spanish, English and German. It was set in uh, how many languages? Quite a lot. But that that was a great exercise. I think your presentation of colours was a great influence on magazine design, especially in in the independent area where you know new lifestyle publications were popping up regularly. They used a similar minimalist approach with good photography and importantly white space you know, like kinfolk and, and milk. Yeah. Well, they're, they're like, they're like centers of, of talent, like of people, you know, give people, you know, in all different areas coming together to produce an idea. It's really, it's what is interesting. I think that people using their different specialities to produce a product that is unique. It's the idea. Let's move on to 2006. You, you leave Pentagram uh, to set up Studio Fernando Gutierrez. 
And you continue working in the areas that you're passionate about, books, exhibitions, identity. You also hook up with uh, the Spanish winemaker, uh, Telmo Rodriguez, and you got involved in many wine projects, and especially labels with a stream of, of really, I have to say, beautiful ones. How does the relationship with Telmo work? Well, that's a thing. For me, it's a life project. So, you know, he's been, his life is about, you know, finding vineyards and developing them and making good wines. And it's no different. I mean, for me to be working with him, it very links into what I relate to. He's editing, like editing books, because every wine has its own character. He's very specific. And I love Working with someone like that, it just relate. I mean, it's for me, it's a pleasure to be helping him realize his project, and he is realizing his project. He is getting, he just gets better and better. He's, but he's done it in a very patient way. He's not in a hurry to produce a wine. He's always, he's just involved. So I've now, I've known him. I know him since nineteen ninety eight, and we've worked together since. And. And it's just a a very steady relationship. It's the same with the Prado Museum. I still work with them. I've been working with them since 2002. It's the same as that's looking after a collection of fine painting and bringing it to the public. And how can you just make it exciting for when they come to the museum and just look after, make sure they get good catalogues. It's the whole experience. It seems to me that the the range of work you take on has to have a a deeper meaning than just being another job. It needs to contribute to the things you believe in. Would that that be right? Yeah. So I always, whenever I had things in the studio, when I had my studio, it was to get things that really educated us, where we'd learn something. You're not learning anything and what you're working on. What's the point of doing it? It's just to fill things out. It's not good. You've got to be doing something that you're learning. If you're learning, then it's okay. It's okay. And if you get paid for it, that's really good. And and if you're good at what you're doing, you know, people want to work with you. It all goes hand in hand. Last year, you had a solo exhibition of your work in Madrid featuring the many identities you've worked on. It was titled Making Marks and, and staged in a large space, which allowed you to present your logos at an enormous scale. Yeah, it's the power of the mark. Seeing them at that size is great. Yeah. I know that the artist Richard Hamilton was a, was a friend of yours, and you designed uh, the catalogue for his 2014 retrospective at the Tate. But earlier you worked on a book about art and food uh, with him and the noted Spanish chef Ferran Adria, who, who ran that famous restaurant El Bulli. Tell us about that and your relationship with Richard. It was very nice to work with Richard. Um, I worked with him on a book about art and food. And then there was another exhibition that he did on, um, he did an etching, a special etching for Picasso. A group of artists got together for Picasso's 80th birthday. And each one gave Picasso um, a print done by them. So Richard did a, a, an etching on Las Meninas. Velasquez painting and we did an exhibition on that and Richard was behind that we ex- we explained the project and then showed Richard's work in progress of the plate that was lovely and that, that was working very closely with him and I produced a very simple catalogue for it he was um and he was very close it was I mean, he, he loved the process of graphics and being part of it. Yes, he, he designed the Beatles' um, 
White Album cover, of course. He did the White Album, absolutely. Yeah. No, and and so the book on food, he was editor, food and art, and he was the editor. And then Vicente Todoli, who is another, he was director of the Tate Modern. He served as editor as well. So Vicente and Richard, and then El Bulli, who was considered the world's at the time the world's best restaurant uh, chef. Uh, so they got together to put this and all i just basically helped design the book you know make that content pay as much homage to them as it was about them being part of a whole art fair in in germany and what they did because the question was he was invited as a chef but as a creative he was invited as an artist and there was this question how can a chef be an artist because it's very hard to um there was a big debate about it anyway we produced a book that was about people that went to his restaurant from the fair they were flown out for dinner to a couple two people every every day uh, for a couple of months i think it was or a month and a half the deal was that they would have dinner at the restaurant and then they would they would give feedback on their experience and this was this book carried the experience of all these people that attended plus putting it into context what Ferran had done with his recipes and also the history of art and, and food and that that's something that was for me a good example of as a graphic designer that you know you're doing something where you're learning and you're helping to produce something that's going to endure and for people to enjoy and, and learn you know be inspired well I think that's the perfect place to end. Fernando Gutierrez, thank you for sharing your RDI insights. 